Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm author and publisher Tracy L. Slatten. It's my belief that the most interesting, creative, and original voices today are heard outside of the big corporations, studios, and galleries. Individuals of courage, inspiration, and vision are seizing the opportunities to create and promote their art themselves. I'm here to support them and to bring their stories to you. On this show, I'll interview independent artists of all kinds, unusual thinkers, and even some healers about their process. How do they do it? How do they start with an idea and bring it to life in the world? This show intends to illuminate the journey. Feel free to call in to 516-453-6052 with questions or live chat with me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers. Great to have you with us. Hi, this is Tracy Slatten, hosting Independent Artists and Thinkers. I am so happy to welcome everyone to this inaugural show. I created this show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations. As the intro to the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. Please do call in with questions or comments to 516-453-6052. You can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers. I'm just arranging the schedule for the upcoming week, so please keep checking back at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers and also at the website independentartistthinkers.com for upcoming guests and news. So I am delighted to have someone very special as our first guest. Lori Bellalove is an extraordinary dancer, gifted choreographer, and the founder and artistic director of the Isadora Duncan Dance Company and Foundation. She is a beloved teacher and an electrifying performer. And um, she's also a lovely human being whom I've had the privilege of knowing for more than 15 years. Lori, welcome, and thanks for coming on the show. Oh, you're so welcome, Tracy. It's a pleasure. So I, I'd like to get right into it, and let's start with your dance background, and we'll sort of let the conversation flow into how you founded the Isdor Duncan Dance Company and Foundation. So, Lori, when were you first exposed to dance, and how did dance come into your life? <laughs> I guess I have to preface that more fully with the fact that in my early, early years, let's say under age 10, 11, I was a tomboy. But I didn't realize it, but I was really dancing the whole time. I was very, very busy with uh, outdoor life, adventure, artistic exploration, uh, from whether it be cooking or pottery or gardening or caring of animals or exploring rocks 
and nature and hikes and um, challenges in nature um, and games, I, um, I was already dancing. And then at age 12, I learned about Isadora Duncan, who um, on a trip in Europe, my family and I, we went, and I heard about this woman, and then I followed up with my, from my visit of hearing about her to read her autobiography, which completely was, it just, I guess they call it, you know, like just, a, it was a, like a light bulb turned on in me. Oh, this is what it's all about. This is, so did this you is see, the life I want to Did you embrace. see someone dancing her way, or did you see a movie? Did you see a performance? No, no I was told about it. I saw um, some, I guess I saw a little bit of, no, I, I guess I, I, I heard about her inspirations. Which were which included the notion that um, my God the the body should sing like Walt Whitman sing the body electric we should be alive we should not have um, constraints of the of our clothing on our body we should be dancing barefoot we should be dancing out of doors we should be uh, women that are just completely um, uh, liberally free to to express ourselves. Um, all of these notions and the beauty of ancient Greece that she was deeply inspired by and folk dancing, which I had already done, which I love so much, which was all about groups getting together and massive rhythms, people moving in mass rhythm together. I loved all of that. So when I heard about Isadora Duncan, all of her philosophical thinking about dance and how she was such a revolutionary in it all, um, striking away from the ballet primarily, I needed to know much more about her, and that's when I went on investigation and saw that it was a match for me. I needed to know everything. So it wasn't about a visual. It was the vision of her thinking, the vision of her philosophical understanding of where dance could go. She was dreaming and outlining the vision of this incredibly free and alive dance form that so it was she all discovered. In it, All in conversation. Yeah, I guess it was. Yeah. And it just prompted I heard about in you. It just resonated in me like um, I got to know more. And it was almost like I got tipped off that there's someone I should explore who might be a match for my soul and my psyche. And, and then I just picked up her autobiography. And I think I read it that night cover to cover. It was just so enthralling for me to meet a soul sister. Literally. And um, here I was in Berkeley, California. I'd come back from three and a half months in Europe with my family, and I was age 12, going on 24. <laughs> very grown up for my age, very um, raised with free thinking family. I was raised to um, explore, to question, to identify with um, any kind of um, anything I wanted to explore. I was op- it, was a, it was an open book. To, to go for. Um, I got very few no's in my life, <laughs> truly. So it was just and like once once it opened, once it was born inside you, the doors mm-hmm. just started to open and you felt like you flowed right into it. Yes. I mean, there the man who I'd met in Greece who offered to train me was in Greece. So when I realized it was something I wanted to explore, I had to write to him. So there was like an immediate obstacle. How was I going to pursue this? And was I going to go to the local dance school or to the San Francisco Ballet? Or where was I going to go? Those were questions. And yes, indeed, I did go exploring all of that. I wrote him. Ah, static. Um, 
I wrote him and said I'm very, very interested. How and when could I study? Uh-huh. And um the um I did start going to their local ballet schools and dance schools and seeing what I could find, what modern was available because I understood that Isadora was outlining really the basics of what we call today modern dance, American modern dance. So I um Well how do you I had the challenges there. Lori, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause you right now. This is a good question. Yep. How do you personally define modern dance, and how different do you think other modern dance pioneers were from Isadora Duncan, and what do you think is the common element in all these pioneers? Mm-hmm. The common element is um, moving out of the norm, moving out of what was offered, particularly in the, say, in the sense of European ballet format of training, and that included not only the actual vocabulary of ballet, but the whole notion of how you would learn or how you would create a dance or how you would dance a dance was all up for question. All the moderns challenged that notion of the sort of monkey see, monkey do training mentality of the, of the European rigid. ballet. It was fairly rigid. rigid yeah, and it's a system where you don't ask questions and explore. It's a system where you do. You suffer and you do or you fall out. And this this was this is the biggest um, philosophical training difference between ballet and modern. Aesthetically, what it looks like takes runs a big gamut, but primarily the ballet and the visual of that, and the use of the body, is so much more. Um, I guess I call it vocabulary defined. And in modern dance, making up movement, exploring free-flow forming movement that doesn't necessarily have a name but has a feeling is where modern dance starts to accelerate and branch, explode into what it has. I've watched you dance many, many times. You're such an amazing performer. But, you know, when you watch Isadora Duncan dance, it looks Mm -hmm. easy. It looks, uh, there's a certain ease of the body and a gracefulness that looks just completely Easy, but it's not that simple, is it? No, it is truly a a trained form um, that embraces a more naturalistic aesthetic of the body, but that natural aesthetic and use of the body does get heightened and it, it into an art form. So there is a tremendous discipline with it within the structure of the of the freedom. <laughs> so it's like the look of spontaneity, but there's a quite a bit of uh underpinning technical foundation. And That's um something. that is often deceptive to people. Yeah. Yeah, my you know, my husband Sabin is a sculptor and it's something he and I discuss often that there's this Im- important mm-hmm. element of art which is structure and discipline. And um one of the issues I've had with art of this very moment is that people have confused uh, self-expression with art. So the what you're saying to me is that Isadora Duncan draws on self-expression and looks expressive, but it's founded on a very serious um, and thought well-thought-out discipline. Yeah, I guess, yes, discipline and system to get that expression out. But, um, you know, it truly is, it, it, at the highest level, the... The, in a sense, movement vocabulary, I guess, within the Duncan style becomes your own language. And within that is tremendous possibility for expression. 
but it it it's um it becomes a language um through the gestures and the um uh the just the the, mo- the mode of use of the torso in particular because that was one of the things she talked about that she felt was so missing in the ballet training that the torso could move and fold and rise and fall and body the weight of the body could really accelerate and um, decelerate so that you'd have all these ebbs and flows and crescendos, whereas ballet, there's this, this sort of a held stillness of every action being sort of pressed into a shape in the body. And um, I love so the that, leg. that look of freedom and breath is, is um, something that people just uh, uh, respond to so easily. It's like, oh, so that has uh, such a natural thing. I'm breathing with the dancer. <laughs> Little do you but know, I but you actually Adora Duncan hmm? dancer legs. I love the legs of his Adora Duncan dancers because that skipping and there's such a gracefulness of the skipping mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. the movement across. It's almost like a floating. Well, when I say there's a discipline to this, it's like we really practice how the foot comes off the ground and rises, and how it comes back down, and how it works within the whole system of the body, the skeleton and the chest and the torso. The breathing up through the head, neck, the shoulders, and the arms, and we study the ascent and the descent. We study the flow of weight in the body, and that's what creates that look of such effortlessness. Well, let me let me ask you. Uh, let's go back to kind of your journey as a dancer, mm-hmm. and that how and when did you decide to make a career out of dance? And when and how did you come to found the company and the foundation? And what were some of the challenges you faced? So this is a big question. Feel yeah, free to answer. Yeah, it is. Well, I can hop forward to from reading Isadora's autobiography, exploring modern dance in the San Francisco Bay Area, and being quite disappointed, going through high school years, thinking I might want to be a dancer, but not finding where I could get the training, knowing that Mr. Canellis in Athens would receive me any time, I've graduated a year early from high school. I accelerated that my training, my my schoolwork, and I went to Athens. I moved, and I made it my my business to learn to everything work? from him. Hmm. What was his relationship to Isadora? How did he know this mode of dance? Ah. Yeah, he um, as an art student when he was about sixteen, uh, at the turn of the century, the Isadora Duncan and her family came to Athens. And they put on the Greek garbs, and they were wearing sandals, and they were going about the the city and daily pilgrimages to the Acropolis. They were quite a sight to see. And Mr. Canellis saw them, and he chased after them. He said, "I thought my ancestors had come back to life." <laughs> and they the the Duncans embraced him and brought him up to where they were staying and started to interview and and, and include him in uh, their circle. And he started to study the dance because Isadora. That's all she did when she talked to people. She told them about, told people about her ideas of this revolutionary new dance form. He danced with her. He, um, he spent the summer or so with the Duncans and Raymond Duncan and all of this aesthetic of going back to the ancient Greeks. And indeed, he got an ear and an eye and a body full of her philosophy and thinking and training. She encouraged so him to train more. Also. Yes, he was a dancer. And then he went on to his own career. He trained in ballet, and then he went to what he called Greek chorodramatic uh, work, where he used the Isadora Duncan method, the ideas that the chorus was dancing um, as, a, as a soulful unit 
expressive of very universal expressions. And he put on many dramatic Greek plays with Isidora's concept of the Greek chorus moving or dancing. And he got very famous for that. And there he was, 75 years old, when I met him. He had a stipend from the Greek government, and he had had a whole journey of life in America, married an American, and um, had danced his whole life um, producing shows since forever in his life. He huge, huge, huge career. So he started training you? Yes. At age 17, I went to Athens, and I was living. I had an apartment, and I went for, I guess, four or five times a, a week. I had private lessons with him. And this, um, somewhere about a year into that, I was reading and putting into my copy notebooks many ideas of Isadora and what experience I was having. And I just, I remember looking up from the book and going, I want to be the best Duncan dancer I can be. I want to follow this path. And um, then I went back to, like, the reading. You had this laser line of intention. Mm Mm-hmm. I did. I woke up. I said, my body is right. I'm in the right place at the right time. I'm inspired. I'm I'm completely like turned on to this. It's it's just a match for me. I'm going to pursue it. And I ended up going back to college, um, always with this theme in mind, and uh, studying with all the Isadora Duncan dancers I could find around the globe. And one letter led me to another letter, led me to this person and a referral there and. And then I finally met two women who had studied directly with Isadora. And they tr- they took me under their wing and trained me. What did and, they tell uh, you about her? Oh, many things. Isadora is a very controversial controversial figure, but mostly they consider her their mother because she was she basically raised them. They were orphaned and the parents brought them to her Isadora's school in Germany and they became Isadora's pupils and then her their adopted daughters took on the last name of Duncan, trained in Duncan, performed Duncan, breathed, lived, you know, uh, that was their life, Duncan. So they, um, Isidore had passed, of course, by then, and um, they were carrying on her tradition, and, you know, this young Berkeley girl comes knocking on their door and says, please train me. And they were always a little skeptical, who do you think you are? But then when they saw me and got to know my real passion and serious interest, um, they started to teach, and um, one thing led to another, and I, um, I absorbed everything they had to offer me and, until they passed, basically. And, um, so it when was, did you found the company time, and the foundation? After that, way after that. Uh, they, um, these two women, Irma and Anna Duncan, who were considered uh, two of the six Isadorables that toured and trained with Isadora as her company, they had dancers also, and they had companies. And the women in those companies were creating a new group. And um, they had the energy and the fortitude to really go go forth with this. And I joined that forming group that was here in New York City. And um, I'm a, considered a founding member of what was called the Isidore Duncan Centenary Dance Company because the whole notion was we were going to celebrate 100 years since she had since she was born and um, we did performances and performances and I learned a lot more repertory and uh, was trained further and deeper and somewhere in the process of those four or five years I felt that I had um, acquired so much knowledge I was bursting to do in a sense of my own creative work 
I was also bursting inside to um, create work and performances in my own vision, having accumulated a lot of research and knowledge and my own soulful soul-searching about how this dance expresses itself. I went back always to her drawings and the photography that was available to study, her writings. And I kind of came up with my own formula of how I thought it could be taught and how I thought it could be performed that would really speak to current generations. It certainly was speaking to me, and I was getting tremendous feedback um, as a performer and artist within this style. So and when I decided did you again start, to pursue it. When did mm-hmm. you start teaching in the way you teach, Duncan? dance technique? Well, it was a process. In California, I um, started with children when I was age 18, 8 and 20. I guess it was 1920. After i come back from Athens, I started at the encouragement of one of my Isadora teachers. And that led to all of a sudden the mothers and the sisters of these children wanted class two. So I was doing my early explorations. Then I come to New York and I train within this Isadora Duncan Centenary Dance Company. And I'm also teaching a little bit but there was a time when I went, I'm going to do this more and more, and I may back out from the company because I'd like to create my own company because I see my own vision. And um, that was a process, and then that company uh, fell under. It, it had a, a culminate, its culminating years, and then I carried on. And I brought those women who were the, were the directors onto my board of advisors to keep this legacy going with the most uh, integrity and authenticity as possible. At the same time, I was interested in my own vision. So it's a twofold thing. I'm interested in the originality and the authenticity, but at the same time, I guess I want to filter it with um, a clarity I felt I had gained through all my training and all this experience with a variety of Isidore Duncan dancers, including Mr. Canellis, who was so one of the few men that, in the style. Was that when you started doing your own choreography? Mm-hmm. Pretty much, maybe even a little earlier, because when you teach, you usually create some kind of composition or com- yeah, combination of um, movements that the students can absorb. So right then, and when you teach, you actually are choreographing to some extent. Um, and I was doing that more and more. I was picking my own music, and I was creating movement that went along with that music in the Duncan tradition. And, and um, I was creating little dances from a very early time, maybe 1920. So let me ask you, what do you think Isadora, this is speculation, but what do you think Isadora would say about your choreography? Hmm. Well, there's a, a couple of responses I have. Is um, Number one, I don't really care <laughs> because it's my own voice completely. Um, and number two, I think that certain works in particular, I think she would see, are, she might even equate as, as ingenious as her own. Um, I think she did think she was a genius, especially how she put music and movement together. And um, and also how she, I think she does think of herself as quite um, phenomenal in how she could express her feelings at an in-depth level such that she was received by the public and they were moved, moved to tears. They were moved, um, moved yeah, to... The um, audience is connected deeply with her, you know, with the, yeah. her voice and with her expression. Yes. So I think she was felt a lot of um, personal satisfaction with um, her success as an artist. Now, um, I do feel, I guess I feel that also. And I do feel that Isadora, if she looked at my work, for the most part, 
I think she would say, oh, if I was around, I might be moving in that direction too, Lori. <laughs> um, but I also think that she would be encouraging, and she would say explore. And um, uh, I don't want cookie cutters as dancers, Duncan dancers, quote-unquote. I, I want artists who um, can explore deeply their own voice, their own um, lives, and put their, their, their experiences of their life into dance their um, observations of life um, and their concerns and I think she would support me 100% really yeah, oh, that's, I do. that's wonderful so in mm-hmm. terms of having a foundation mm-hmm. that studies her mm-hmm. how difficult was it to document to collect to gather archives the databases and all the other information and photographs and movies related to Isadora Duncan mm-hmm. well at this point now our, our, our archive is quite rich but initially it was um uh my my own personal collection just gathering uh books all the books that there were about her um any photographs um i was always studying and looking and trying to acquire i i did not make it a job to purchase expensive archival materials to create a collection of Isadora Duncan um uh, rare artifacts if you will rare, rare art but um, people have given me collections from their own archives or, or collections that have become a part, absorbed into the Duncan Foundation's collection and archive. This is a process, and it's always ongoing. The door is always open. If someone's getting rid of material in, of Duncan, often we get a call or a letter or an email now and saying, could you house this well? Could it be well taken care of? Could it be seen by other people? And my, uh, you know, my answer is always yes. And we'll archive it, and we'll keep it, and we'll take care of it, and we'll expose it. Um, how do you? Expose so how difficult it? You, was it? How do you do expose it? Do you invite people into to view it? Do you pr- do presentations or have shows? Do you, yeah. ha- do you share your work with other with authors who are working on Isadora Duncan books? Mm-hmm. Um, all of that. Let's see. We have done salon events, which are performances that have a dialogue or talk component, and we'll often put material on a DVD and screen the archival material in a sort of a film format and then follow it by dialogue and questions. Or if it's a rare artifact, um, we sometimes will uh, display it or unveil it and have a discussion around it. Or if it pertains to one particular dance, we might perform it as part of the um, offering. And for these things, we've been getting grants to help keep this component alive so we can expose it to the public because it's it's hard. Everything we do costs money. It costs us time and money to do. And um, I'm forever so looking for support. Mm-hmm. So that's one of my questions and kind of one of the intentions behind this show is um, how does an artistic endeavor sustain itself? So what is how does the company and the foundation sustain <clears throat> itself and what do you do when you fall on challenging times? Yeah, we cut back on challenge, in challenging times, number one. I'm always... Uh, we are always, as a group, as a board, counting and making sure we have some coverage or we cut back. This year we're not doing a big uh, theatrical uh, productions this year. We're doing small salon performances that celebrate Isadora's birthday because we always do something annually now. But um, I've also been very smart in managing uh, income for work 
and we've gotten many residencies. I've been able to travel to places like Brazil and upcoming to China, to places where they pay me substantially to bring an Isidore program into, let's say, a school or a college or um, a series of performances with the company. And that the extra money from that goes back into the foundation. We even sell costumes, and we do sell books and videos that help. That merchandising component does help support the foundation. And then another leg of our support system is, is grants from foundations and city and federal uh, and state government grants uh, who, who have recognized us now for our efforts um, to keep this work alive and on view to the public. So the combination of all these things, we keep counting every few months to mm-hmm. see where we are and making um, you know, intelligent decisions based on that for our future planning. So you and I had a conversation last week, and you said um, that you mentioned that the dance company was receiving more and more invitations, both in the U.S. and abroad. Mm-hmm. And then you and mm-hmm. I joked about how artists work for 20 years before they're an overnight success. So do you want to talk about that? Oh, gosh. I mean... It's endless. I mean, I, I first when I first started uh, exploring Isadora Duncan dance, um, I really I was conflicted because I knew that the general dance population, my dance friends, so to speak, didn't understand. They thought it was some kind of frou frou, stupid, um, antiquated dance form, or even a non dance form, some kind of crazy woman who improvised on the beach, and then I was copying her. So that they didn't think there was any integrity to the work or the technique, uh, or that there were any repertory dances or choreographies, and so I didn't say much. I just so went about were... my business. Let's say, yeah, I would just go to a ballet class. I wouldn't um, say that I'm passionately interested in the Odor Duncan dance because I feared to be laughed at. You were so originally ta- not taken you seriously. Flying, you were flying in the face of conventional wisdom. Yes, <laughs> the conventional oh, repeatedly. Dance wisdom. Repeatedly, um, it was not, uh, it, you couldn't find Isadora Duncan dance class anywhere, to be anywhere on the planet that uh, at all. And I had to knock on individual doors. And sometimes those teachers would say, well, I'll teach you. I don't have many students, maybe one or two. Maybe you work privately with me. Um, but there was not a um, a campaign to resurrect Isadora Duncan Dance. It had gone way underground. There were just these few, a handful of teachers left who knew something. And um, some knew more than others, but they were, it was all um, old, and it was all other modern dance who come up and was much stronger. Martha Graham, for instance, or, uh, you know, the, of course, the Doris Humphrey and the, um, even Ruth St. Dennis and all that, the, the spun into Cunningham and Paul Taylor's, and that was all more popular at the time I was studying Well, dance. where did you, how, did, did you, how did you summon, like, the passion and the inspiration to persevere? I, Tracy, I didn't, it was so clear to me. I'd wake up and think of myself as a Duncan dancer that was going to go to a Cunningham class. <laughs> it never left my gut. And I would go to ballet classes, endless ballet classes, but inside I was an Isadora Duncan dancer. In some ways I was harboring a secret that was going to explode one day when I could get my, my guts together, to, when I could get the right uh, format together, and when I could um, share it with the world to the, in the way and the passion I wanted to. 
No, I didn't go out in the park and start dancing. <laughs> I decided to go a more traditional route of training to be the best Duncan dancer I could be because I knew the world would take me a tad more seriously. And indeed, well, what, that is kind of the, what happened. What are some of the unorthodox things you've done along the way to get to this point? Uh, I immersed myself in alternate dance trainings that were hardly even considered dance trainings then, like um, breathing and release techniques, various kinds of very abstract um, yoga, um, what they call body work. Um, I explored all of these things, and they were they were pretty far out. <laughs> they went. I went on meditation retreats. I went to Zen centers. I um, meditation seemed like a very clear route for me to stay very grounded inside of this. But it was not an orthodox way of dance training. And, and have I you done had... any dances out on the beach? Have you done those kinds of dances? Oh, sure. are... So tell me about that. I have. That. Yeah. Um, in fact, I've taken myself on nature retreats just to find nourishment. And um, my guiding light certainly has been Isadora when she talks about being at the beach and seeing that ocean just move wave after wave and that flow of movement, or the wind, or the woods, um, or the hills, or the you know, all kinds of weather changes, storms and, and rains and, you know, uh, snow and all of the nature forces. I took myself on trips that would refresh me. One of the things that I loved that Isadora said, which I embraced so fully, was my best dance training was outside the studio, whether it was uh, Nietzsche or Beethoven or Wagner <laughs> <laughs> she went outside of dance studios um, uh, to uh, she studied the, the the movements of animals and children um, to inform her on the, her aesthetic of dancing. And I likewise have done that. I found that anything can become my dancing um, teacher if you and if open you ta- your mind. And have you taken the way. company to dance like in special places? I think a few years yes. ago you went to um, Sicily, right? We did, and we danced in some of the outdoor temples there. Greek, there were Greek temples in Sicily, and Italian ones too, Roman. And um, yes, those were tremendous inspirations for us as a group. And um, I always encourage them. We take walks after rehearsals sometimes, and uh, the environment and nature is so vital for refreshing uh, the, the spirit. Um, so that's a very imp- another important component. I don't think ballet companies take their dancers out. They don't take them swimming, or they don't take them <laughs> on hikes, you know, which um, I think are all vital to um, being uh, an artist. So this is dance Going to museums, of, you know. It's dance as part of the great symphony of life and the great symphony of nature. Yes, yes. And that is what Isadora outlined in her early um, essays, which I read, and I went, wow, I want this. I'm embracing this. I'm going on this trajectory. I feel myself like this because I, there I embrace all of life. I don't stay in the studio for eight hours a day. So do you have find some, myself. Do you have some favorite quotes that you've remembered or some favorite specific things she said that have stayed with you? Oh, my. To dance is to live, she wrote. What I want is a school of life. 
that perfectly uh, sums up what um, we're talking about here. She also said she didn't want uh, dancers to um, consider themselves like um, uh, like uh, coquettish or flippant entertainers that were flirtatious. She wanted them to embrace their, in this sense, womanhood or manhood in the in the more um, classic sense of the word. Um, I've seen dancers of all ages in your company and your performances. And do you want to tell tell us about the Bella Lovables? Sure. There was a time about ten years ago now that uh, a couple of homeschooling families found out about my teaching, and they um, came in droves because it was um, it was a perfect match to how they were raising their children. Because I was doing such um, I guess innovative teaching, uh, it was, and the aesthetic was such uh, that the bodies were so um, trained with such a naturalism that it was a perfect fit for these families. And these girls stuck to it. They were training two and three days a week. They could do work in the middle of the afternoon. I got a YMCA to open up its doors for those quieter hours, and we used those studios. And they trained extensively and became really beautiful Isadora Duncan dancers, having this dance form as their first language of dance. Then they went on and they did do other trainings, but that that's not part of the full story. But And then as they became learning dances and performing more, I dubbed them the Bella Lovables, after the cute term that the press had coined uh, the term the Isadorables for Isadora's dancers. And um, it just stuck. And they just love being a Bella Lovable. <laughs> my, and, my, uh, was, my middle daughter mm-hmm. was a Bella Lovable, and she performed yep. in the Isadora um, play that was off-Broadway. That's right, because we wanted to share that part of the um, story of Isadora, that she had had schools, and so we put that into the Broadway production. Yep, and um, a very important part of the of the whole history, that was not only a um, performer of these gorgeous choreographies, but she also is very vested in teaching children to dance and to have a school, because as a way of life, it just forms people so beautifully and enriches people, whether they become dancers or not. It was that was where it was a dance for life. Right in that way, it's she, sort um, of a political that. statement. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, would you say that your work is also a political statement? Yes, because I'm going against the traditional norm of dance training or artist training by um, embracing a large number of artistic disciplines to help to create an artist. I think that's different. Um, you know, uh, I'm not alone at this point because it, it, artist training has become very innovative, but we have to thank Isadora for that, and I certainly follow in those that trajectory of training. I'm revolutionary in that um, I believe Isadora had so much to say that I'm convinced that that it should stay in this world. (laughs) Uh, And so I'm very passionate about keeping it alive and keeping new dances being created that spawn from this similar aesthetic. 
So where do you see the dance company and the foundation going? What do you see evolving? What do you see happening in the next five to ten years? Well, you're asking me today, and today I feel that our work to really clarify to the world the integrity of Isadora Duncan's dance, the beauty, the integrity, and the training discipline aspect, our work is not over yet. So I've decided to take my work beyond certainly New York City and my day-to-day teaching here and there in the company to take my company out, to take myself out, and to teach teachers and to stretch it further. I'm my next invitation is to China in late May. And there is a woman who saw one of my classes, and she said, I want you to come and teach my teachers in China and teach some of the children. We want exposure to this. And then I'm bringing your whole company in six months, and we're going to wow. celebrate Isadora and keep it growing. A similar thing happened to me maybe 15 years ago with a woman who came from Brazil who wanted to start a school in Brazil and didn't know what form of dance to to use to teach children. She had read about Isadora. She comes knocking on my door. Halfway through, she's on the floor crying. This is it. This is it. <laughs> and since then, we've been fast friends. I've gone every year, maybe twice a year, to Brazil. Again, teaching teachers, creating a group ensemble to perform the work. Children, I teach all day long when I go there, um, just feeding them more ideas and getting them more creative within the style. And so that's a dream come true. And and we're hoping to spread it to further in Brazil and South America. We have been all in a lot of places, but this is a different planning that I'm doing where we're really reaching to the teachers and reaching to the children because that has um, more longevity than just coming and performing once and having everybody be blown away and then waiting for us to return again two or three years from now. What about I'm also Russia? looking at Puerto Rico. What's it like where? What about Russia? In, because Isadora herself Russia. loved Russia. Yeah. We were invited to Russia, and there was a festival, and we did do as much as we could. They're having a very difficult time. It was not the place to set up camp. There was not one lead figure or a school or institution that could really embrace us. If there was, I'd be sending my girls there every few months, and we'd be exposing that further. They are not so organized. Life is very difficult there, very tough. We were there a few weeks, and we saw how tough it is. Um, and have um, you been, How about in Europe? Have you been traveling to Europe? Other not than as the- much as we want to. We have some doors to knock on, and we really want to get some grants funding um, to bring this American modern dance form there. People know about Isadora there. But we we did uh, some festival circuits, but again, it was just performances and not coming into a school and really teaching. And so that is work to be done. So so the next part of the journey is to teach teachers so that they can carry it on. Yes, that's my, my thinking right now. And I'm trying to make that possible again. We need um, we need uh, some of the funding to make that all possible, but I am committed. <laughs> and I have graduated a few students uh, to be teachers, and they are dotted around the country, and more and more are forming. More and more are graduating and, and being able to teach. And we have a two-fold certification pro- uh, process. First is just the basic training, and then there's an advanced. In the basic, you're basically ready and equipped to teach children and non-professionals. And then the advanced is to actually teach professional dancers 
the Duncan style. Yeah. Well, and let me go so, back to mm-hmm. Dora herself. Um, explain to us about the controversial and mysterious personal life of Isadora. But what I really want to mm-hmm. hear is how she can be a model for women today. How is she a model for women now? Well, she really threw off the shackles of of um, being um, constrained by what someone thinks of you. To think out of the box and to not care what uh, anyone, family or otherwise, might think of your actions and what you do. If you are integral and personally committed, people will um, will support you. And I think this was huge because she had to not care what her mother thought or her brother or her she father received a lot of judgment, or the world a lot at large. A lot of people yeah. judged her, right? Yes, and she had to whisk that off. She just had to keep on letting it go right by. She said, I have something to offer the world, and I'm just not paying any attention to you. <laughs> have you and felt you've been to. judged also? Much less so because of our current world. But I don't, you, Tracy, just who Lori Bellalove is, I don't even give it a second thought. I never even, I, I've been so ahead of my sense of passion of myself, I never even, I don't even think about it very often. If someone didn't like what I did or do, I go, oh my goodness, they're not, um, they're not very enlightened because they're <laughs> thinking, they're very narrowly. Um, I, I don't even look for other people's support terribly because I know I'm I'm an entrepreneur. I know I'm a I'm a self made. Um so I don't spend a lot of time wondering whether people like me or not. I um it's much more if they can respect the integrity of of moving of of this work. That's what I hope they like, but I don't even care if they don't like it because there's so many people who do. <laughs> I feel a lot of do you think this wonderful um, personal self-responsibility and self-esteem that you have, do you think you were born with that? Did it grow as you were influenced by Zadora and you studied her? How do you think it came about? Because I, yeah. I think it's important uh-huh. in the journey of the independent artist to feel this way. Yep. I, um, I had a, a revelation the other day in a yoga class. The teacher was talking um, a lot of uh, self-esteem kind of things. He said, now stretch yourself out, curl yourself in a little ball first, and then spread yourself out like an angel in the snow and reach your arms way overhead and stretch your legs down long and expand and expand yourself very, very, like you're a comet just exploded. And he said, you know, if you do this and you also raise your arms way overhead if you're standing somewhere before you go into a presentation, you will, um, it'll change your whole nervous system and your your um your your um, your cortisol levels and um, it will shift you into a much more positive mode of thinking. Your body posture will change your 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 concept of your self esteem and your sense of your self value, and you will deliver much uh, fuller um, material with confidence. And I went bingo. I've been doing that since forever. One of the main components of Isidore Duncan Dance is to reach your arms out, raise them over your head, expand your chest, and breathe. Maybe we fold in again, but then we go right back out to that full place. And I'm doing it right now as I speak to you. And it, it changes your chemistry from small-minded you know, to large-minded. I sat, I sat up a little greater when you were saying that, too. 
because mm-hmm. I do a lot of yoga also, and I've noticed it has a big effect on my mood and just how I feel all the time. Yep, yep. So, you know, Isadora, on a physio- physiological level, was tapping into literally a physical therapy for mankind. As she started, she even said, if people do my work, they'll live to 100. And that was way back in the day when that, that number was astronomical. And um, But she knew what she was talking about, about the well-being health of breathing and standing on the ground and, and um, not being in these um, pinched Victorian clothings. She she uh, moved on from that. And, of course, the whole world has followed her. Now look what we wear, you know, <laughs> spandex. <laughs> but this is a notion that I think helps any individual, especially if they're on a path that is not the road traveled, you know, as we say, mm-hmm. but um, one that's more um, uh, sometimes a self-journey where you, you do have to question and people will say, well, why do you want to do that? You have to be able to answer. Even if it's an elevator speech, you have to be able to answer it. And what better way than to expand your torso, your chest, your your your, your physical presence to help that mind slow in its full um, expression of who you are and your your sense of yourself. So, so this is um, also this speaks also to the unity of the mind and the body. How the mind, the body, the spirit, and the psyche are an indivisible unity and can never be divorced from one another. When they're divorced, we call it physical right. death. But until that moment, they're completely integrated. Exactly, and Isidore speaks of this all the time: the wholeness of the of the training of the child, for instance, and wholeness of the way she moved herself and and taught her her dancers to to move. Bless you. It must God be springtime. <laughs> Thank you. Finally. <laughs> well, yes. We so we're on to something here. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a few minutes left, so I wanted to first ask you: um, Would you share with us where listeners can find out more about you and your work, and some of the dates of upcoming performances? Okay. Well, we um, we have a pretty uh, extensive website and it's isadoreduncan.org and org and in it you can find a photo gallery, you can find a video gallery, you can find listings of some upcom- upcoming performances um in some of our class uh, offerings from children to adults and workshops. I guess even an audition that we have coming up for professional dancers. Um history of Isadora, history of the company um all those, I, and there's also a section where you can buy books and um, or an Isadora Duncan dance tunic if you wish. Um, yeah, the tunics are so beautiful the way they flutter around <laughs> the body. That's one of my favorite yep. parts of watching a Duncan Isadora Duncan dance company performance is just the beautiful bodies and the fabric fluttering on the bodies and the movement through space. And then of course there's all the beautiful music that um, your yep. your company uses. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's they have a, a word for it. It's classical music, and there's a reason. It's classic. <laughs> it just speaks to a to a to a heart center of the human being that um, that is really eternal and and very very captivating for us. And it's wonderful to move to it. The tunics are fabulous in that. Someone was asking me the other day why why the tunic, and I said, well, it's twofold. One is to fully feel the body pushing against fabric, but the other is to kind of forget the body in the overly technical way so that you can get to a fuller expression that is 
maybe beyond just where your knee or your hip is placed and so that you can get this very full-bodied movement. A, a good teacher will refine you in time, but the most important thing is to get the overall fullness. And it's just the colors are gorgeous, and you can wear a color that's flattering to you, and it just makes you feel like a god or a goddess. Isadora herself said, give me a thousand t- children to to impoverished Russian uh children the she told the government i will teach them to dance like gods and they she put them in tunics and it was a free-flowing fabric that would just help them move so freely without any constriction so those are really fun and important components so and that's part of our website too. what about some of the salons now, upcoming yes the next next thing here in new york city is a salon may 2nd we decided to start out celebrating isadora's birthday at the beginning of the um, month, even though her birthday is officially May 26th, and um, because it clobbers it, it Memorial Day weekend and everyone wants to go out of the city, so we decided to do May 2nd in the city. And we have a piano, a live pianist performing, and we're going to embrace Isadora's favorites um, from, to the music of Chopin. Oh, and yeah. we have a party, and we... Um, Where is that? going to be doing... That will be at um, our the Isidore Duncan Dance Foundation Studios here in Chelsea. We are opening it up for this occasion. And there will be from birthday cakes to, oh, a vodka company is giving us a fig-flavored vodka. It will oh, be flowing. Cool. Yes, and um, there will be some wonderful baked goods in the cake and um, Chopin you know, in dialogue. In Italian, figa slang for a woman's private part. Oh, my goodness. Well, let's go. I it's the Genza vodka. There's such a sensuality. I kind of like the, the fig-flavored vodka. But what time is this show, and how much does it cost? This show? Well, it's um, uh, there's um, it's at 8 p.m. on Saturday, May 2nd, and the tickets are $50 for the entire food and um, beverage and entertainment component. And it's usually a two-hour affair plus with lingering to the extent people wish. In Chelsea, at a loft studio, we're going to probably be out of doors if it's not pouring as well, indoor and outdoor um, experience there. We'll also be selling some books and things at a, a low cost, kind of doing a, a celebrated bazaar for that, which will be fun. We'll have a sale table for um, pick up some items on the um, So May at, 2nd, sale. May 2nd, mm-hmm, 8 May 2nd. p.m. at the studio at Isidore the Duncan. On and it is up on the... Yes, and it's on the website, um, but you can also um, uh, write into info at isadoraduncan.org, or you can call 212-691-5040, and someone will take care of you Monday through Friday. Perfect. So and, I, uh, I, just, yeah. I have to ask, we have a couple minutes left, so Lori, do you have any last mm-hmm. bits of wisdom to leave us with? Gosh, I am forever telling people to follow their passion, because... Anything less, you end up paying for it later because you're unhappy. And um, if you have an inkling, try with all all means possible to explore it till you have exhausted it and the world says no a hundred times. And even then, keep keep finding ways to follow your dream and your passion. Even if it's a small small portion of your time per day, it may grow. And if you're at the right place at the right time, 
I guess I would say I do believe in synchronicity. You've got to pay attention. You've got to keep your eyes and ears open, whether it's someone you're going to meet in a store, whether you walk down the street and you see something on the on the pavement that is something you need to pick up and it gives you a sign that, or it's a message or it's a, a location of something that's of interest to you. Um, being out in the world and staying awake and aware, engage with people, keep up the FaceTime, <laughs> well, keep up personal say, relations. You and I are lucky. I knew when I was six that I wanted to write novels, and you knew at a very young age, 10 or 12, you yeah. wanted to be a dancer, an Isadora dancer. What do you say to people yeah. who just weren't lucky like us and didn't figure it out as kids? Mm-hmm. Well, I do say um, to keep exploring try to be around inspired innovative people wherever you can ask them for lunch and whatever because one thing will lead to the next to you might find and it may be at age 40 or 50 or something that you might find that little niche that where you are fully awake where you are now i'm not saying it's not hard work right tracy it's it's hard work there's an integrity you have to have a stick-to-itiveness but it gets fed by the candy or the food, the nourishment of the satisfaction that uh, of um, feeding your soul with something it actually needs. Because well, like we're all put said. here to do something. I, I like what you said about coming to be awake. I think um, that's wonderful. Yeah. So, Lori, thank you so I, much. Yeah. For, thank you for being my inaugural guest. And you were amazing. <laughs> and uh, you were terrific. And oh, it's wonderful. Okay. Um, I, love well, I hope talking. we hear from some of your listeners. That would be terrific, and um, I hope they reach out to us. Okay. All righty. So, so thanks again, Lori. We sign off. Okay. You're very welcome, and thank you, Tracy, for all your bye-bye. wonderful questions. All righty. Bye-bye. So this is Tracy Slatten, and I'm ending, finishing up our inaugural show of Independent Artists and Thinkers. And I'm so happy and glad for anyone who joined us, and I hope you enjoyed listening to the rather wonderful Lori Bellalove, who has so much to say and um, such an interesting person and has really accomplished so much, flying against what was, you know, conventional wisdom um, and you know, listening to her own passion and persevering despite challenges and, you know, coming moment by moment to more awakening. So um, stay tuned. Keep checking the website and the Blog Talk Radio page as uh, I'm booking guests now, so they'll appear there. We will have Dr. Jane Eli, who's an author and a healer and the kind of modern-day um medicine woman so she'll be on eventually and we'll have other guests and i'm really delighted to have the show and thank you for listening this has been tracy l slatten on the independent artists and thinkers network thanks for joining us come back next week